we wanted to continue our series that we call oikos. And oikos is a funny Greek word. I like the word, though. Can we all say the word oikos? One, two, three. Oikos. Yeah, you guys are learning some Greek today. And oikos, it means, it means household. It means a household. And we talked about this last week. Pastor Jamie and I kicked off our series. And we were talking about um, how the church is called to the whole world, but I'm responsible for my world. And that's what this series is all about. It's about identifying our oikos, our household. Who are those people that God has put in our lives that we need to be faithful to, that we need to be witnesses to about the goodness and grace of Jesus? These might be people that you go to work with every day, that you are neighbors with, the people that are maybe in your extended family. Uh, there are also people that you go to church with. And so Oikos isn't just for people who don't know Jesus, but we're gonna be intentional about the people in our life. In fact, we are not just kicking off another series here at the church. This is something that's gonna be a principle for us moving forward. We want to just be thinking in terms of how can we help the church at Lake Mead be serious about their oikos? How can we equip you, encourage you, and help you in bringing the good news to the people in your, in your life and encouraging those that are walking with you in that journey? And so we'll talk more about this tonight at our vision night, but this series is really important. But I want to I wanna ask you, as we kind of started launching it last week, and I, I want to just ask you this question honestly, how many of us get sweaty palms just imagining having a conversation with somebody about Jesus who doesn't know Jesus right now, right? Is that a little bit anxiety-inducing for anyone? And it might not just be because you're an introvert. You might be an extrovert. You might like talking to people, but when it comes to talking to people about Jesus, it's just like, what if I say something wrong? What if I don't know an answer to a question? And we can psych ourselves out super easy when we think about this, this idea of sharing the good news, right? I grew up in different churches uh, in my, in my you know, younger years, and some of the churches I went to really emphasized what you could call personal evangelism. Maybe that's a term you know or don't know, but it was an emphasis in certain churches that we all have a responsibility to share the good news with everyone we meet. And it was, a, it was in some sense, a kind of a high pressure deal, right? And when you're young and you're trying to like, you know, okay, I need to, I need to like share Jesus with people. Um, and that's absolutely true, right? But you can, at least for me, I can feel very like guilty if I didn't do it. I miss that person. And what about that other person? And and sometimes I would even stir up the courage to talk to someone about Jesus. And, and honestly, sometimes the conversations would go surprisingly well, because I think God blesses your effort, even if it's a little forced or whatever. But a lot of times I would feel like I was trying to almost have like a sales pitch. Like I had to talk to people about God and it was a little artificial. I wasn't really trying to have a conversation. I was really trying to, you know, like, give a presentation, almost like I'm trying to sell Jesus. And it just doesn't feel right. Like that's not, that isn't what I think we see in the, in the gospels, right? And we're going to look at that today. And so I don't know if anyone else struggled with that, but there, there'd be times in my, in my younger years where I would just feel like a big failure when it came to talking to to others about Jesus. And, and so what I want to do today, what I really wanted to do is we start this series is really kind of like just reframe the idea of having spiritual conversations with people. What does it really mean to do evangelism? If you want to use that word, maybe you're not familiar with it. Because I really think that Jesus didn't walk around trying to fill a quota. He walked around filled with the Spirit. 
He didn't walk around trying to sell anything to anybody. He came, he came to earth recognizing that he was sent by God to have conversations with people who were hurting, to love people right where they were, and to, and to be a temple, a holy place where heaven and earth meet. And so I want to talk about this idea of Jesus as this spirit-filled man who walked on earth and brought heaven to the darkest places of our earth. Can we do that today? Are you guys excited? I'm excited about this sermon. When we were talking about our series, I was like, man, that sermon on Mobile Temple, which we're going to talk, call it Mobile Temple today, I'm stoked about that one. So I hope you guys are going to be stoked about it too. Let's dive in. In John chapter 2, Jesus says something. Now, I want to warn you about this sermon up front. We're going to do some heavy lifting in the first part of it. It's going to be some Bible study today, okay? But I think the last part will be the payoff. So you'd you be a good student for the first, first 15 minutes, okay? And it'll be a good payoff as we, as we get into it. John chapter 2, look what it says. John chapter 2, um, we have Jesus say something very kind of cryptic. He says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And then he says, they replied, it says, they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and are you going to raise it in three days? But then John explains, he kind of explains the, the statement, but the temple he had spoken of was of his body. All right, so let's, let's unpack this for just a second. Jesus says something uh, that maybe today is not as as shocking or as strange because we've kind of gotten the idea, at least if you've been to church, that God's temple lives with us now. But in that moment, this would have been very strange for someone to say. For Jesus to talk about destroying a temple and raising it in three days, kind of a cryptic foreshadow or forecast of his own death and resurrection. But that was obviously something that no one pictured, the idea that you as a human would be a temple. Right? And, and as John explains, that the temple he's speaking of is his body. That would not, not have been at all on anyone's radar. Temples in the ancient world, I want to remind you, were ubiquitous. They were everywhere. If you were in this pagan world, I mean, there were, every high mountain would have a temple, a shrine to certain deities in different places. And of course, in Jerusalem, right, the, 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 probably one of the most famous temples in, in antiquity is the one Herod built honoring Yahweh, honoring the God of the Jews. And so the very temple that Jesus cleanses, right, that temple uh, that they're referring to in this passage, it, these are buildings, right? So to call yourself a temple or to even have that in your mind is very different. And so Jesus is saying that if you destroy this temple, this temple of his body. Now, John, though, this is John 2. John's prepared us for this statement in John chapter 1. So I want to flip back to John chapter 1 and see how he's even prepared the reader for this radical statement that Jesus saw himself as a temple. And in John chapter 1, we read in verse 14, we read, so the word became human and made his home. I'm going to look at this. This is a Greek word that you could literally translate tabernacled. I'm going to get to it in a second. So the word became human and made his home or tabernacled among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Okay, so this statement, the word became human. If you're familiar with the gospel of John, you'll know that the gospel of John starts with some profound theology. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
And the word was God. All things that were made were made by him. There was not anything made that was not made through him. So John starts with this startling statement about, about God and that God and the word have coexisted and the word is God. And this is, this is a little bit of mysterious language to try to get our minds around this, this amazing truth, right? That God himself has become human now in verse 14. This co-eternal, co-existent one who was there with the Father at creation, creating all things, eternally with the Father, has now become human. Or maybe your translation says, has taken on flesh. All right? Told you some heavy lifting, right? So this is the concept in John 1 is that God, the eternal word, has now in verse 14 made it, take, put on flesh or, or become human. And here's our, here's our word, made his home. He didn't just put on flesh. Jesus took up residence. Jesus is now at home. And this is a, this is a Greek word that's called a sukno, and it means, it means to tent or to tabernacle. In fact, in fact, that word in the Greek, if you were a Greek reader, right, would actually connect you to an, a, an ancient tradition or an ancient story in the, in the Hebrew consciousness, this, this idea of tent or tabernacle it would be a very like, like light bulb moment if you're reading the gospel of John and you were a Jew because there was a time in Jewish history where God tabernacled with Israel. In fact, it was the thing that made Israel different than any other nation. It was the thing that set Israel apart from all the other nations. And it's this idea that God himself, the creator, chose to be with Israel. And he did this in a tent, he did this in this, in this really unique way, this, this place, this tent where God would dwell with his people. And it was a tent because Israel was on the move. They were moving. So it wasn't like a, a stationary place. It, was, it wasn't a temple in that period in their history. They were being taken from Egypt and they were being moved through the, prom- or through the desert, through the, the wilderness into that promised land. But they weren't going alone. At the very end of the, of the book of Exodus, you read these words. Look what it says. Very end of Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. I love that way of putting it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And notice this. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, we have that in our backstory. We go back to the Gospel of John. Now let's read this again. John chapter, chapter 1. So the Word became human. So this eternal Word, God himself, now becomes human, puts on flesh, and he tabernacles, activating this ancient story, just like, just like back in the day with Moses. Now Jesus is the new tabernacle. Come on, somebody. Jesus is this new tent. And he's filled with glory too. Just like that tent was so filled with glory that Moses couldn't even go in. It was a a fearful thing to be in the presence of the living God. Jesus was filled with glory too. He's filled with love, unfailing love and faithfulness. And John says, and we have seen his glory. This is a powerful, powerful image that John is activating for the reader here. 
He's, he's painting Jesus as this temple, as this tabernacle filled with glory. And the glory that he's filled with is the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of God. In fact, the prophet Zechariah predicted this day. I want to show you one more prophecy, and then school's kind of over, okay? Because I know it's been tough, but check this out. This is beautiful. Zechariah chapter 2, look what he says. The Lord says, shout and rejoice, O, o beautiful Jerusalem for I am coming to live among you. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day. I'm really glad that's in there because that's most of us. If you're not a Jew and you're a Gentile, that's us right there. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and they too will be my people. I, let's all say it together, guys. I will live among you. How many of you need to know that God wants to live among you? That God wants to be with you? How many of us need to be reminded that God is with you today? You are not alone. You might feel like you're alone. The enemy might try to tell you you're alone. But the truth of God's word is, I want to live among you. I am covenanting myself to tent among you. We're going to look at that a little more in this sermon. God is with you. So this is a powerful image. So I want you to just kind of get this first part done for the sermon, that Jesus saw himself, I think he was conscious of this, as I am a mobile temple. So I want you to understand that. It's really important for everything we're going to learn today. Jesus saw himself as a mobile temple. I am a place, because this is what a temple is, where heaven and earth meet. When Jesus met people, God was meeting people. Are you with me? Guys, Jesus brought heaven to earth. People were running from heaven. So heaven came running for people. Come on, that's preaching. Man, let's, thank you. <laughs> Guys, that's what it is. That's what's so good about this news. Jesus says, look, people have been running from heaven, so heaven's going to be running for people. I'm coming to invade. Who, who here is glad that Jesus invaded earth? Yeah, there you go. You're awake today. Yeah. Man, I'm starting to preach a little early here. <laughs> okay, back up. This is how Jesus saw himself. This is really important for our sermon. This is really important. So he was a mobile temple. Temples were places in the ancient world that if you wanted to meet the deity, even if you weren't you know, a follower of Yahweh, whatever God you followed, you knew you had to go to that location. And in that sacred space, you could meet with the deity. And so when Jesus says, I'm a temple, that's evoking all of that language, all that imagery. Now the sacred space is right here. I'm, I'm a mobile temple. And Jesus was on the move. And so I want us to think about this in terms of evangelism, okay? You know, that sweaty palms, like, I don't know what to say. What if I say the wrong thing? And, you know, all that stuff. Guys, I want to make it really simple. Here it is. Here it is. Evangelism is simply holding space with people and letting them encounter God. It's just being aware that God lives in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're going to talk about this, and that he wants to encounter the people in your oikos, and you're going to hold space. You're going to minister. It's not about a speech. It's not about rehearsing facts and helping people like understand theological truths, although theological truths are important and understanding who God is is important. But it's not about like going through a rehearsed speech and selling Jesus. Guys, it's about letting heaven meet earth. It's about having conversations where you see people and you minister the love of God to them and you point them to Jesus, and you lead them to, we're going to talk about this, and you have that conversation. It's about presence. Let me ask you a question as we start. What kind of presence are you 
in a room? What kind of presence do you bring to your oikos, to the people in your life? Let's look at Jesus. Man, don't you guys look, love looking at Jesus? I just love looking at Jesus. Ah, okay, look at Jesus. Mark 10. We're just going to look at a bunch of little stories, okay? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. He looked at him. This was a guy who was a very religious guy. I'm, I'm going to say he had all the theology right. But he missed one thing, right? It's not about theology. It's not about getting all the answers right to the test so you can get into heaven when you die. Sometimes we think that's what it is, right? It's like, I got to get this down so that people get the answers right. Guys, here's the deal, right? You can have right theology and still miss heaven because it's about surrendering your, your knee, bowing your whole life to King Jesus. Not just about getting the facts right on a piece of paper. It's about you meeting the Lord of heaven and bowing down and saying, Jesus, you are king and I am not. Like that is really the point of this whole thing. And that's what he's saying to this man. He says, guys, there's, there's only one thing you're missing here. You've got all the facts right, but I'm not king. So go sell everything because that's what's stay, staying in, in your way and, and give it to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven and you can follow me now. Look at another conversation. I like this. This is in Luke 19. When Jesus came by, I want us all to say this. He looked up. Let's all say it. Ready? When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. That did not go over well in Jericho. Zacchaeus is the, is the leader of all the tax collectors, and he is, he is the most notorious, worst dude in town. He is basically like your local jug lord. And so Jesus says, of all the people I'm going, I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your, and he calls him by name. Guys, the power of Jesus looking at someone, knowing their story, knowing their reputation, knowing what other people think about them, and looking at them right in the eye and calling them by name and saying, I want to go to your house today. That's powerful, you guys. That's, that's bringing the good news to people who need the good news, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to heal the, the, the well. I came to heal the sick. I came to call the, not the righteous to repent, but the sinners. And so he's calling Zacchaeus by name. Look at the other story, John chapter 4. I love this one. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? I just love this story so much. There's so much to unpack here, which we're not going to today. But this is an incredible conversation. Again, I, it doesn't say explicitly that Jesus is looking at her, but obviously he's looking at her. Probably somebody that most people overlooked or wouldn't look. And he looks right at her and he just says, hey, would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. It says, the Samaritan woman, verse 9, says to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. This is, a, this is an out of proper order conversation. What are you doing? Why are you talking to me? Because Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit prompted him, he knew I'm going to look at people and I'm going to say, hey, 
Can I have a drink? A little later in this conversation, right? This conversation, you can unpack it for yourself if you want to read John 4 today. But look what it says, verse 13. Jesus answers her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. So check this out. Not only is Jesus having a conversation, asking her for a drink, but really wants more of a conversation. He doesn't really want to drink from her. He actually wants to talk about living water with her. He's dignifying her with a conversation. Everybody matters to Jesus. Guys, isn't that why he's so compelling to all of us? Isn't that why you started following Jesus if you are a follower? Wasn't your heart just drawn to this love that you can't even explain? I mean, isn't it something about Jesus that said, wow, there is no one like Jesus and he gave his life on the cross for me. Somebody who doesn't deserve that by any stretch. Jesus gave his life for me. Like this is what we see in the pages of scripture when the gospels are recording Jesus, they're recording Jesus having conversations with people who no one else cared about, who most people despised. And he would know, and he, even though he knew their story, he would dignify them with conversation. And he would just say, man, The water that you're drinking right now, you're going to be thirsty again. But the water I'm going to give you, it's living water. You're never going to thirst. Later in that conversation, he says these profound words to this this Samaritan woman. Guys, this is the first person in the gospel of John that Jesus reveals his identity to, his true identity to. Nathaniel says Jesus is the Messiah is early, but this is the first person Jesus says, I am the Messiah too. And it's a nobody. I mean, from the world's point of view, this is a lady on the lowest end of the totem pole. And so he's willing to tell a nobody by the world's standards who he really is. That's powerful dignity. That's, that's the kind of love that we read about earlier, this unfailing love that Jesus was filled with the glory of God. He cared for everybody, you guys. That was what makes him so compelling. The woman, he says, yeah, go to the next verse in 25 or 17. Yeah, uh, yeah, right there. Yeah, you can go to the, sure, let's do this one. I'm out of order, sorry. Go back to 17, I like this. Jesus says to her, you're right. When you said you had no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Jesus was fully aware of her reputation, even though she doesn't know how he knows all this stuff about her. And he has that conversation anyway. And then now in verse 25, he says this, woman, I say to you, uh, the woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain all things. Then Jesus declared, I am the one, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Basically, he says to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am this Messiah that you knew was coming. This is a powerful, powerful moment where Jesus loves this woman enough, knowing all about her story, knowing all about the things that maybe she feels brings shame onto her story and disqualifies her from maybe like society or something. But Jesus says, let me tell you something I haven't told anybody. I'm the Messiah. Verse 27, when the disciples came, they're shocked to find him talking to this woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Jesus had conversations with religious people, with irreligious people, with tax collectors, notorious sinners, potentially women with bad reputations. I'm going to tell you something about Jesus. 
everywhere he met or everywhere he went, he saw himself as a mobile temple bringing heaven to earth. Everywhere he went, he said, how can I hold space with the people I'm interacting with so they can meet heaven? Can I ask you a question? Who do people meet when they meet you? Who do people experience when they experience you? Who do they experience when they experience me, right? This is the whole point. This is what we're learning from Jesus today. Jesus saw himself very clearly as, I'm here to bring heaven to earth. And so I'm going to go where I'm going to go, filled with the Spirit and having conversations that transform people by my love. Look at, look at how this works out. Verse chapter four, again, at the end of the story, right? Uh, so this is verse 27. Just then the disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to the woman. None, none of them had the nerve to ask what he wanted or what, why he was talking to her. Go to the next one for me now. Oh, I'm, I'm all messed up. I'm so sorry. I'm, my notes are not tracking here. Yeah, go to John chapter uh, four, verse 39 now. Yeah, so 39. John 4, 30. Many of the Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I'd ever done. So check out this story. He has this conversation with this woman, showing her love by even and dignity by even having that conversation with her, right? And then this starts to transform her. She starts running back to all of her village and telling everybody about Jesus. She runs back to her oikos, right? And she says, man, you got to meet this guy. He's told me everything I've ever done. And then verse 42, look what happens. It says, so hit the next one for me, guys. Verse 42. So the, when the women said, they said to the woman, we now believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Do you see how that works? Jesus has this amazing conversation. He shows this woman love and dignity. He reveals to her truth, spiritual truth, that he hasn't told anybody else. And this transforms her. She starts to, are you serious? This is actually, is this possible, right? She runs back to her oikos and her oikos comes running back. And they start to beat Jesus. And he spends two days, the text tells us. And that's their testimony. Now we believe not just because of what you said, but because we've heard it for ourselves. In the Zacchaeus story, which I skipped over back in Luke, this is how that story ends in verse 8. It says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus, he stood up and he says before the Lord, so they're at dinner. They just had this invitation where Jesus says, of all the people, I want to go to your house, Zacchaeus. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, Zacchaeus stands up at dinner and he says, God, God, I'm going to give all of my wealth or half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone from taxes I've taken, I shouldn't have, I I will pay them back for the cheated taxes that I did. This is a transformed life. Why? Because Jesus, the mobile temple, he went to places where the spirit led him and he saw himself as where heaven meets earth. So I want to ask you, I want to to kind of transition this now. We saw how Jesus saw himself as this mobile temple. We saw in action the way he would just minister to people and hold space with people wherever he went. But now I want to show you the twist. And there's one more passage in the book of John that I don't think is very well known. It's not like John 3.16. You know, it's not going to be on our football fields or anything. This is, a, this is a passage in John that's a little cryptic and a little strange. So John chapter 20, verse 21, it says this. Again, Jesus says, and this is at the end of Jesus' ministry, he's already died, he's risen from the dead. This is some of the last words Jesus says. 
And he says, this is almost like the Great Commission, but John's version, okay? So we talked about Matthew's version last week. This is like John's version. And he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Notice this. Then he breathed on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So they had watched Jesus see himself as a mobile temple filled with the spirit of God, ministering to people wherever he went, holding space, looking at people, loving people. And now they are breathed on. What is that really about? It's about Jesus saying, now you're going to be temples. You're going to be filled up with the spirit of God. Notice what Paul says. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, right? He says, do you not know... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. The price was the blood of Jesus. So he says, therefore, honor God in your bodies. This is, a, this is profound, right? And I love how Paul just says, don't you know this? It's kind of like, are you... This is like basic 101. Like Jesus was a mobile temple filled with the spirit. And now we who have been followers of Jesus, we've received the Holy Spirit. And now we're filled up with the spirit. You're a mobile temple, church. Can I say that to you today? You're a mobile temple. Guys, let me just start to preach right now because I want you to catch this. Here's the problem with so many of us. We are not activating, we're not walking in this identity of God's temple that is a place where heaven and earth meet. Guys, we're not entering into our oikos and into our workplaces saying, God, how can I be your presence in this place? We're not walking into the story of God. We're not walking out that story in our place. Let me tell you something, guys. When we don't walk out that story, we will not see that glory. We see that glory that we're talking about in this whole, whole sermon when we are entering into that story. Guys, can I say that every miracle in the New Testament is connected to mission? It's on the mission that you see the miracle in your life. It's when you say, God, I'm your temple and I'm gonna go to places that are hard to go to. And it's in those moments when you're just stretched out on a cross and you say, I'm gonna go there even though this is uncomfortable. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk toward the hurting and not away from them. I'm gonna move toward those in my world that need Jesus. I'm not gonna ignore them and I'm gonna be prayed up when I do. Because when you are on the mission, you'll see the miracle. This last couple of weeks back, there was a situation where I had a kind of a tough ministry assignment. It was a tough ministry assignment. I'm not going to give specifics, but it was a tough thing I had to go do. And I remember walking up to where I had to go, and I was really kind of nervous about it. I didn't want to go. It's not that I didn't want to be there. I just didn't know what I was going to do. I, didn't, I felt like I was over my head. And I remember walking up and I remember praying as I walked up. I said, Lord, I just want to be your presence in that place. And I remember getting there and after a few minutes of being there, it had, be, it had become tough. It was a tough spot. And I remember in that moment, I felt like the Lord just gave me an idea. It just gave me something to do, something to say. And so I said it and it changed the room. 
in that moment, like the room changed. The place went from sorrow to joy. There was comfort. There was, there was a presence of the Lord in that room. And it was, it was, it was special. So I go home and I go on a prayer walk. And I remember going on this prayer walk at night. It was late and I, I, I was like, Lord, why is that how it is with you? Why, why are you that way? Let me just give you a little window into my prayer sometimes. I was like, man, Lord, there are sometimes I'm praying for you to move and do things and it's crickets. It's like, where, where are you at? But this is one thing I have noticed in my walk with Jesus. If I'm ever in a spot like that, like you always show up. Like you always show up. Like, why is that? And he said something to me on that prayer walk. He says, Brad, when you go where I want to go, I will be what you need to be. I will be what you need me to be when you go where I want you to go. Here's what that meant. When you go to those difficult places, when you are like, okay, I'm going to have this conversation with this woman at the well, right? I'm going to have this conversation with Zacchaeus. I'm going to have this conversation with this hard to deal with coworker, whoever that is for you, right? I'm just going to go there. This person's obviously hurting. I'm going to take a step toward them. Guess what, guys? How many of us believe God wants to be near the brokenhearted? How many of us believe God wants to be close to those who are hurting? You know what he's looking for? He's looking for a mobile temple. He's looking for someone that says, I'll go. I'll go there. And in those moments, he will be exactly what you need for him to be. When you go to those spots that are uncomfortable, when you say, I'm going to let my hands be God's hands and I'm going to let my feet be God's feet. Guys, let me tell you, when you take that step, he says, that's what I want. Here's the thing, guys. I got a whole bunch for you. I just want to read them to you. Check this out. I want to be, here they, here they are. I want to be a loving presence. Keep going. A praying presence, a calming presence, a joyful presence, a generous presence, a wise presence, a faithful presence. Guys, does this make sense? Wherever I go, God, I'm, I'm, I'm walking into this world. I'm walking into this dark place and I've got one hand on earth and I've got one hand on heaven. And I say, God, right now, I want to be the temple, the place where heaven and earth meet. And I want you by your spirit to use me as a holy conduit to bring presence into the people that are hurting. You don't have to have a script rehearsed. You gotta walk with Jesus. You gotta be filled up with his love. You gotta look at people in the eye and you gotta say, hey, can I just tell you I love you and I'm here for you? And even better, can I tell you God loves you and he's here for you? Can I introduce you to somebody that changed my life? His name is Jesus. And he doesn't care about your past because he knows about your future. Come on. He doesn't care where you've come from because he's taking you somewhere so, much, somewhere so much better. That's who our Jesus is. Right where you are, right where you are today, I want to encourage you to see yourself as a holy temple, a mobile temple, filled up with the Spirit of God, going into your oikos, saying, God, here I am, use me. Can you stand with me this morning as we end? I want to pray a blessing over you, and I want you to respond to this in however God leads you to. As you guys stand, I want your heads to be bowed for just a minute and have just a moment. I don't know how you're thinking about this sermon today. I don't know if you've ever thought about yourself as a temple of God before. I know you may have heard it before, but maybe you never really thought about it.
I'm a temple of God. I'm a place where heaven and earth meet. And when people meet me, they should be meeting God. That's a big responsibility if you're a Jesus follower. It is. But here's what you need to do. You need to say, Lord, I want to walk into that truth. You've already said that's true about me. It's declared true. The minute I received Jesus and I was filled up with his spirit, that's declared true over my life, but I want to walk out that truth. I want to see myself as a mobile temple. If you're in high school or, or, or elementary or middle school, guys, I want you tomorrow to see yourself as a mobile temple of Jesus in the high school where you go or in the middle school where you go. Wherever you work, guys, whatever occupation you have, see yourself as a mobile temple on the move. God is bringing heaven to earth. He's chasing down people who are running from him and he's using us. If you're here this morning, maybe, and you've never trusted Jesus, I want right now to invite you to know Jesus. Right where you stand, you could say, God, I know that I have run away from you. Man, so many of these stories we read today about Jesus, you may be identified with one of those people in that story, one of those stories. Maybe you were the religious person, but you've really never bowed your knee to Jesus. Maybe you've got a church a whole, your whole life, but you've never really bowed your knee to Jesus. You never really sold everything to follow Jesus. Maybe you're like the notorious sinner, Zacchaeus, who was the drug lord of the day. Maybe you, if you, maybe you were like, if people knew my story, they'd wonder why the building didn't fall in when I walked in here. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're like the woman in our story. Wherever you are, whatever your background is, let me say this to you right now. Just like Jesus had conversations with those people and none of them were beyond his love, you are not beyond his love today. And right where you stand, you can just pray out to Jesus right where you are, just like Zacchaeus did. Lord, today, I give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I will restore it. That's repentance. That's what that is, church. That's repentance. Maybe today you need to repent. And right where you stand, you can just bow your head and you can say, Lord, I repent. You know my story. You know all the things I've done and I give it up to you, Jesus. I acknowledge, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. I turn my back on all my old life and I ask Jesus to be my king and my savior right now. However you pray that prayer of, of repentance and faith, the Bible says if you trust in Jesus, he won't turn you away. Jesus loves you and he wants to know you as his own. If you are a follower of Jesus, today I want you to say, I am a mobile temple. Right where you stand, I want you just to pray that. I am a mobile temple. Pray that. Pray that to the Lord. I am a mobile temple. I am filled up with the Spirit of God. I will go to the places you sent. And I will be a place where heaven and earth meet. I will, I will be an ambassador for Jesus. Church, let me pray this over you. Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, I pray that the church at Lake Mead has one hand on earth and one hand in heaven, and that we are a place where heaven and earth can meet, that the people in our oikos will meet Jesus when they meet us, that they will experience your love, your faithfulness, your wisdom, your encouragement, your joy, 
that when we come into a room, we're bringing Jesus into that room and that we are faithfully watching the people there that need a touch from heaven. Help us to have boldness when we're scared. Help us to have courage. Help us to have the words when we feel like we don't know what to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, church, let's say it. Amen. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, I am a mobile temple. Ready? Go. Amen.